Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Hey, we're doing the thing. I, I didn't call it a thing last week, so I'm calling it a thing now. <laughs> uh, we are still just within um, May, mm-hmm. which is the the very long title. It <laughs> basically goes down to Asian History Month, basically. Asian and Pacific Islander American Heritage Month. There we go. It's a lot. See, Black, History, <laughs> Black History Month was really easy to say. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's three that's words, yeah. Easy. I know. But, but yeah. we're doing, okay. Last week we did some topics including weapons and Heather's proficiency with said weapons. Uh, I don't know if I would say I'm proficient in any of them. I've picked them up and I know technically how they're supposed to be used. Let's go with that. Okay, the way you described them being used was quite horrific. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that was a fun topic. This week's topic isn't quite <laughs> as fun. Yeah, it uh, it's definitely historically important. Um, yes, es- especially which is why for, we're covering it. Yeah, especially for us here in the U.S. Um, unfortunately, it, for most people who've taken a U.S. history class, just at, like the basic high school one and everything, mm-hmm. not one that specifically is on different subjects, um, yeah. you've probably noticed that the U.S. history books, there's very little coverage of this topic. Uh, the Japanese-American internment doesn't get touched on very much in most U.S. history books. There might be exceptions mm-hmm. out there, but in my experience, most U.S. history books, you get a couple of paragraphs. During and it's not even that much of depth, uh, that depth. Basically. Yeah, it's usually a couple of paragraphs that mention it during the World War II segment of the book. And that's usually about all it gets. So um, for anyone who hasn't studied it in depth, basically the short version, and this is more or less what you get in the history books, is that um, during World War II, after the attack on Pearl Harbor, there were Mm -hmm. a lot of people who were concerned that Japanese Americans might be colluding as spies with um japan and so the government decided that the best course of action was to basically imprison all of the japanese american citizens into internment camps um so whenever world war ii and the word camp comes up yeah i don't like that yeah yeah, um, <laughs> that's that's um, usually a good way to look at it. Uh, yeah, and of course Pearl Harbor and all that kind of thing, and the resulting atomic bombs afterwards. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to be very careful around this subject because it's tough. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes history is written by the winners, and sometimes it doesn't really leave quite as much of an impact as on the things they did. To get there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is also... I think think, think you kind of get what I'm trying to say without saying it. (laughs) This is also one of those um, 
subjects that gets like brushed under the rug sort yeah, of like, oh, in yeah, American we won. history. We did this, this, and this, and this, but we won. Yeah. yeah, they don't like if you're talking about World War II and studying the the history, it, it's not something that people like talking about. The fact that basically the US had its own concentration camps. They were called concentration camps or or internment camps. Both terms were used. Um now I will say, you know, concentration camp you think of like Auschwitz and stuff. I will say yeah. the American concentration camps were not on that level. No. <laughs> it wasn't no, good they, what they, they, they did, no. but they were not on that no. level. They weren't gassing Japanese Americans or anything like that. So I mean it's still messed up that it happened, but comparatively, it is not quite as bad. Like, it's it's not at the same level of awful. I will say that. I can understand the concern after what happened, but that doesn't make what they did right. Yeah. Um, so in... Uh, it's, so yeah, in 1942, yeah. just after Pearl Harbor, President Franklin D. Roosevelt basically forced relocation and incarceration of people of Japanese descent. Yeah. And into these uh these camps. They are called concentration camps, but like we said, they're also not quite as bad. Yeah, they're also referred to as the internment camps more commonly, mm-hmm. at least growing yeah. up, that's how I always heard them referred to. Um partly because, because they're trying to the, distinguish the word... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the words con- concentration camps, they, they have a very visceral reaction in pretty much everyone's heads yeah. about what that is. So I, I can get I can understand why it's called something different. Yeah, and uh, so, um, yeah. It, the thing that was really crappy about it, I mean, the whole thing was crappy, but um, especially, you know, historians looking back on it, there was no evidence whatsoever. Like, they never found any evidence anywhere of a Japanese American citizen or anyone of Japanese American descent or or anyone of Japanese descent, I should say, living in America that they interned, that there was never ever any evidence that there were Japanese Americans working with Japan. And actually, um, from a cultural standpoint, Japanese Americans or any Japanese folk living in Japan, or excuse me, living in America, were basically, I mean, this isn't necessarily the most accurate term for it, but it's almost like they were considered outcast by a lot of Japanese back in Japan. Um, One of the things, it's still somewhat present, but especially back then, when you Mm. still had an emperor who was like the the all-powerful and everything. Um, I mean, there's still an emperor, but it's more like the British government now, where there's like an emperor, but parliament makes more uh the parliament makes more of the decisions and um so back then it was much more the emperor making lots of decisions and um there was a lot of emphasis on you know cultural identity as like you are japanese you are from japan you are a japanese citizen japan is your home japan is your you know da, 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 like very 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 um patriotic I guess is a good way to put it. Um, there was a lot of emphasis on that culturally. And so yeah. anyone who left Japan and went to another country to live and work, especially if they never came back, which of course most Japanese and Japanese Americans didn't, um, it was very much something where it was considered um, almost like betrayal 
on the part of the people mm. who left the country. So yeah. they 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 actually weren't like <laughs> the Japanese people would not really have reached out to the Japanese Americans to try to get them to help with it. Like it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, it was an it was an interesting situation, but um more than uh, about 62% of the people that were put into the internment camps were US citizens. Yeah, a lot of and, them were children. And it was between 110,000 to 120,000. I don't like the fact that they're not sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't like that. Like you think like like I get it if it was like a range of like a thousand or something, like or a hundred or something, because you can't be sure. But that's a big gap. Like ten thousand people is a big, big gap. Like to be like, oh well, I mean, it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it makes you wonder how much they're trying to downplay it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um. I, I I know I'm telling you this, <laughs> and that kind of feels a bit insulting. Oh no no I understand <laughs> you're like you're reading the details and you're like wait what. Like, because you, yeah, you just, like, you already admitted you didn't really learn about this in school. Well, no, uh, I, I didn't. Um, feels a bit surprising that I didn't, especially being on the UK side of things. Mm -hmm. Feels a bit weird that it wasn't covered. It's uh, it's very, very, very much something that gets downplayed. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there, Which isn't good. It, it started in uh, February of 1942, so a couple of yeah. months after Pearl Harbor, because Pearl Harbor happened in December of 1941. Yeah. Um, and that was when the US joined the war officially. So Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066 on February 19th in 1942. And basically, what it what it said was that anyone of certain descent and it, it actually included like Italian and German also. Um, but uh, that they, nothing really happened overall to people of German and Italian descent. Um, but basically it was that from designated areas that were considered more military. So basically all of the West coast, which was where most Japanese Americans lived at the time, courtesy of migrating from Japan and California and the East Coast is the closest, or excuse me, West Coast is the closest to Japan. So naturally they settled along the coastline. Also, Japan is islands. J Japan is a series of islands. So most Japanese coming over to America wanted to settle in an area they were somewhat familiar with, which would mean settling somewhere along the coast because it's going to be the closest thing to an island. Yeah. Yeah, and by water, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, so, yeah, that was signed. Basically gathered people up into exclusion zones. Yep. Which uh, Also, I don't like the phrase of, uh, like, certain, like, descent. Like, just, it feels icky. It feels really icky. But, yeah, yeah. Um, there were still, there were some Italian um ancestry and german ancestry people that were deported from certain areas mm. um but generally speaking not so much um and uh they also arrested community leaders after the pearl harbor attack because they thought they might be the ones colluding with japan and all that kind of stuff but uh yeah, the, the most insane part 
in my opinion, of the executive order was how um, how far down you could be dis- of Japanese descent and still be considered a threat. Yeah, it was third generation, wasn't it? One sixteenth. Yeah. You only had to be one sixteenth Japanese. Um, yeah, which is at least in California. In California, the Japanese Americans were considered such a high security risk uh, that if you were one sixteenth Japanese, you could be yeah. interned. Now, for anyone who's keeping track, I'm half Japanese. Yep. My mother is Japanese American. My children yep. would be a quarter. My grandchildren would be an eighth. My great grandchildren, my great grandchildren would be a 16th. Yeah. Which means my mother, who's full Japanese, six generations, her great great grandchildren could have been interned. That's. And when you actually think about that in sort of perspective of lifespans, obviously there's overlap and that kind of thing. But that's at least, what, 200 years? Yeah. 200 years, depending on how late people have kids. Mm-hmm. It was ridiculous. It's a bit, yeah, it's... it's. Now, it is um, important to say uh, that uh, interracial marriage was not common. Now, that's not to say that people didn't still have children with someone of Japanese descent, you know, um, especially if you're talking about, like, earlier generations, like during the gold rush and stuff, it would not surprise me if some of the people coming over from Japan ended up entering into the world's oldest profession. Um, and therefore, there might have been some illegitimate children that were of Japanese mm. descent. So it would technically have been possible to get down to a 16th, but not easy. Because interracial marriage was still not a thing. The fact that it had to be such a small percentage basically just meant everyone. Mm-hmm. That that's what they were saying. In in a roundabout term, they were saying everyone. Uh, I guess we could probably go for a break right now because we're about that kind of time. And then we'll come back and do a bit more talking about all that kind of thing. Sounds good. Uh, this is well, yeah, this is a fun topic. But <laughs> It's also important, so we're going to keep talking. All right, but we will see you all in a minute. All right, everyone. So welcome to the mid-roll. We're going to start off talking about World Anvil. So World Anvil is an amazing website and campaign management software. Um, There's a ton of things you can do with it. You can basically make a complete wiki and, like, everything's connected for your different characters, for your different... Uh, storylines if you're an author writing a book or if you're a game master and I can't why did I say that word game master and you're trying to um, build up the world for your players anything like that it's an amazing tool for creating these worlds that you've thought up and keeping track of everything and how things are linked Um, they actually won an Emmy award for being such an amazing campaign management software so you should definitely check it out it's worldanvil.com it's free to sign up and even the free membership, the free guild membership has a ton of things you can do with it. And then if you want to expand and get some of the upgraded features, including the heroes feature, which is kind of fun because it's basically social media for your characters, um, then you can get one of the paid memberships and upgrade. But even just the, the basic guild membership is amazing and there's so much you can do with it. You should definitely check mm-hmm. it out. It's worldanvil.com. 
Absolutely. Okay, uh, we are also going to briefly talk about Die Hard Dice and Castle Die Hard. They make absolutely gorgeous dice. They, spo they specialize mainly on metal dice, which they create their own molds for. They do all their color testing in-house for those dice as well, being normal sets or Spellwinder series sets where they use dual colors and they do all their color testing for that as well. They have their own limited polymer release like with their Moonstone collections, which are absolutely gorgeous. They shine like like actual stones and they're absolutely gorgeous. They have free uh, domestic shipping in the US and discounted uh, international shipping as well. They have great accessories like the Scroll of Rolling, I've talked about it before. Just put just D and D for both compactness and storage, and also on the go for when we can be on the go again. Uh, can hold dice as well, so you don't even need to worry about that. They've got a pop of dice trays as well. Great load of different things you can look mm -hmm. at. Uh, if you do find anything you like, you can use the code Geek Thyself to get fifteen percent off your first or your next order. Uh, that's one five fifteen. <coughs> Excuse me. So yeah, if you do find anything you like, you can just go to diehardice.com uh, Yeah, uh, that's all you need to go because I screwed up that bit, but it's fine <laughs> uh, So yes, alright, now we're going to talk a little bit more about Japanese internment camps, which are always fun uh, But, yeah, okay, well, we'll get back to it <laughs> uh, We'll see you in a sec, guys So back into a the less than super happy topic um, yep. So, next bit. Yeah, oh. historically, they tried to claim that the Japanese internment was based off of the Japanese Americans being a threat. Um, mm -hmm. uh, they they also the United States uh, Census Bureau uh, assisted in the internment efforts uh, by providing specific individual census data on Japanese Americans, although they denied. Uh, its role for decades, despite scholarly evidence to the contrary, which is always fun. Yeah. Uh, and uh, in in the early two uh, thousands in two thousand seven, uh, became more widely acknowledged, I guess, because things became declassified then. Yeah. There. Well, there were also um, even before then there were in the nineteen eighties. Mm. So about 40 yeah. years after everything had happened, um, but in 1980, <clears throat> there was a lot of pressure <clears throat> from the Japanese American Citizens League regarding yes, redress uh, because of what had happened. Because over time, um, the government kind of eventually uh, half admitted, half to, admitted to, to that, yeah, we yeah. probably shouldn't have locked you up. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, President Jimmy Carter opened the investigation again to decide whether their decision to put the Japanese in camps was actually justified. Mm -hmm. uh, basically came back as no. Yeah, ba no. basically he, you know, yeah. props to Jimmy Carter. He yeah, uh, the, <laughs> he the, created the some... was actually called, oh, sorry, uh, I just like the, the title, the, the report was called uh, Personal Justice Denied, which is always a good title. Mm -hmm. I think you but, can actually find it um, online and stuff if you want to read the whole thing. But well, yeah, It's probably open record, isn't it, I'd imagine. But um, Jimmy Carter, he appointed a group, he called it the Commission on Wartime Relocation and Internment of Civilians. Specifically, they investigated the internment camps and basically they were just trying to figure out like was this actually justified because a lot of japanese americans were like yeah this really really wasn't 
Um. <laughs> yeah, basically, it looked into any evidence of Japanese disloyalty to the Amer- uh, to the U.S. at the time, and it found basically nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so it, uh, their so... report concluded, big surprise, that the incarceration had been the product of racism more than anything, which what I know, <laughs> shocking. Um, and it was something that Japanese Americans already knew. Um, the thing is, well, yes. even prior to World War II and all of this craziness happening, um, Japanese Americans had been targeted by a lot of European communities on the West Coast. Um, the Japanese farmers, in particular, were very, very good. They were just good at what they were doing for the most part, and they were good at um, getting the land to grow. And you know, a lot of the Japanese that came over from Japan were from lower class families. They were seeking better opportunities for themselves when they came over here. And because of that, it meant there were a lot of farmers. Um, and so especially in coastal areas like California and Washington and Oregon, where the land is can be very fertile and you can grow a lot of crops, um, that's what they went to. They went straight into farming. Some of them went into fishing. Um, because again, they were also a lot of fishermen, the lower, basically the lower class jobs, fishermen and farmers. A lot of people came well, from yeah. that sort of an industry, oh, no. so it's what they knew, and they brought over yeah. techniques that they'd been using for generations in Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, they were I mean, like you said, that that Japan is coastal island, so it makes yeah. sense that they're pretty good at those things anyway. Yeah, and they were able, in most cases, to have a very thriving community, and to yeah. actually have is... you know farms and fishing businesses and things that were doing well. And a lot of people saw them as a threat, kind of like they had with the Chinese when the Chinese first started coming over also. So there were a lot of groups that rose up specifically it being anti-Japanese or anti-just um, Asian in general Asian. Yeah, at the yeah. time, even before Pearl Harbor. Then Pearl Harbor happened, and it's like all of it just absolutely freaking exploded. Um, and suddenly because... they were like, look, look, see, like they did this, this is a thing. So it gave them something to point fingers at. It, yeah. it made it very easy for the racism to be pushed even further. And it made it, made it very easy for that to be blamed. Yeah. Basically. Even yeah. though, you know, as the report showed, there basically was no evidence that Japanese Americans had been disloyal at any point, And therefore, yeah. if any were, it was like a person. Like, like, yeah, like. Like, it wasn't it, big organized groups of people getting information I mean, yeah. and sending it to Japan. It did say that in 1988 that, yeah, when I read signed into law, that basically an act that apologized for the internment of, uh, of Japanese uh, citizens uh, of the U.S. government, and authorized payment of twenty thousand dollars, which is equivalent to about forty three thousand dollars as of last year. Yeah. Uh, to each camp survivor, which uh, doesn't feel like enough. <laughs> yeah. Like, um. Like, like you basically put people into prison for four years. Mm-hmm. Like. Well, and it wasn't you know, just. Um, it wasn't just that they were basically imprisoned. A lot of families lost practically everything. Um, yeah, like because of four the, years away from everything, what can you do? Well, no. but also because of the laws that were in place at the time, mm. um, you couldn't own land if you were Japanese. Um, you could you couldn't own land if you had come from Japan. 
so a lot of families had to put their land in the name of like their children because they couldn't they couldn't buy the land under their own name it had to be purchased under the name of a child so um because they were born in the u.s basically yeah gotcha that makes sense yeah so the children born here were allowed to have their names on the property and stuff but you know there were there were family fallouts but i know with my grandfather's family somehow um we don't have all the details so i don't know exactly what happened i will say that he never wanted to talk about it but um basically with my grandfather's family what happened is somehow the land ended up under the name of like a cousin's son i think it was something mm. where like my grandfather's father and his brother or some or cousins or something owned land together like they all went in and purchased it but because they had to put it under somebody's name it ended up put under like one of the cousins kids names or something like that so um because it was under a u.s citizen's name the land wasn't taken yeah but um what happened is because the land was under the cousin's name my grandfather and his father's family were basically left with nothing basic basically the, the family member whose name it was under stole it essentially i'm sure there's yeah. more details to this story but that's what <coughs> i know he like i said he we know like that very basic level of information and then beyond that he never wanted to talk about it so we don't actually know what happened I have relatives somewhere down in the Salinas area <laughs> that I've never met because basically that side of the family got cut off from the rest of the family because of doing that. So I don't know all the details, but things like that happened. And there were also cases where if like in some cases you didn't have children yet, so you didn't have your land under a child's name because you couldn't. So there were a lot of cases of, um, Japanese Americans trusting a friend who was white, um, whose family, it didn't work out. yeah, and it didn't work out. There, there's a lot of, um, there's so many that I like. I can't name a specific one. My family obviously has a story, but um, there were cases yeah. of Japanese Americans losing their land because they were tricked by someone they thought was their friend. They were also the different camps that were throughout the U.S. and there, there were twelve. If I'm remembering right. Um, I think there were 12. Um, uh, hold on. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. 10, but technically 11. Um, yep. So there, was, uh, there were two in California, two in Arizona, yeah. one in Colorado, one in Wyoming, yeah. one in Idaho, one in Utah and two in Arkansas. Um, there now there's ten listings here, um, but there were actually eleven because Poston, which was in Arizona, Poston actually had two sites. There was Poston one and Poston two. Um, I'd have to look it up because I can never remember again. He didn't. He didn't ever want to talk about it. But um, one of the posting camps was considered a more high security facility. So people who didn't speak English in particular were sent to that camp because they were the ones that people thought were the most likely 
to um, be working with Japan. Um, and yeah, I know. And my my grandfather was in one of the Poston camps. Mm. Um, and he was in again. I can never remember if it was one or two, but he was in the one that was more high security. Um, right. Because his parents didn't speak English very well. He and his older brother and sisters and stuff had to basically translate for his parents. So um, gotcha. their experience was very different. He, The one time he did talk about it at all, he talked about how um, he, uh, he and his friends that were in the camp with him went to go swimming and they basically had their swimming hole was basically a mud hole. Oh, basically oh, just right. a a ditch dug into the ground that was full of muddy water and there was a nail somehow there was a nail um sticking out of something in there and he got uh cut by the nail and got tetanus oh great um so that's the kind of conditions they were given i've seen um for anyone who's in california and specifically is near the bay area if you want to see a really, really historically accurate and, and honestly depressing um, sort of example of the kind of living conditions that the people were given, you can go to the Japanese American History Museum that's in Japantown in San Jose. Um, they have a recreation of one of the barracks, basically, that the Japanese Americans were given to live in. They were given barrack rooms. And um, a lot of times there was no insulation or very poor insulation. And um, they were basically wooden shacks that were one room. Uh, sometimes you would have more than one family in the same building. It depended on space and what camp you were yeah. in, how good your accommodations were. The conditions were not good. We've already said that. Nope. I will say, yeah. um, I mean, in general, the way the Japanese... Americans were treated was not good and yeah. there's also um the uh like the, before they were taken to the actual internment camps they were taken to um basically the the sorting centers is what they used them for they were called civilian okay. assembly centers and it's okay. where they sent people before sending them to the camps um which is for anyone who wants to get like a very first person look at what these internment camps were like and what the experience was like, yeah. especially if you don't have anyone that you can go talk to about it. I mean, you can definitely go to Japanese American history sites and talk to Japanese American community. They'll tell you all about it. Trust me. But um, there's also a really, really, really well-written book called Farewell to Manzanar. And it, I'm blanking on her name right now, but it was written by a woman who is, um, the term that we use is Nisei. So she's second mm. generation. She was born here. Um, I, th I don't think her father was born here. I think he came over from Japan, if I'm remembering correctly. It's been a while since I read the book. But she was a child in the internment camps. So um, she wrote a book when she became an adult. I think it was in the 80s called Farewell to Manzanar. It's M-A-N-Z-A-N-A-R. And Manzanar was one of the internment camps. And it's the one that she and her family were in. So she she talks about like her childhood and what it was like, what happened during the beginning of the internment, like 
she I, if i'm remembering right one of her stories is about a woman purchasing things from her mother very cheaply but her mother didn't have a choice and the woman knew it you could tell and then also what actually happened during the internment as well as what happened after and um up until she's in like high school she talks about all through high school and i will say uh manzanar was not one of the crazy crazy ones um it, it wasn't like poston it was it was i think it was somewhere between poston and heart mountain in terms of security level and uh but yeah it's a great book it's very well written uh it's depressing because you know these things actually happened but it, it is a very well written story and it gives a very good look into what happened i would highly recommend it so just as a sort of wrap up for this i guess uh, in 1944, uh, the Supreme Court handed down two decisions of the legality of the incarceration under Executive Order 9066, uh, and in a 6-3 decision upholding Nielsen's conviction for violating the military execution order stated that, in general, the removal of Japanese Americans from the West Coast was constitutional. Uh, however, uh, oh, ex parte endo, you know, it's declared that Someday, the law of someday that law of citizens of the United States, regardless of cultural descent, could not be detained without cause. In effect, two rulings that held that, in effect, the two rulings held that while eviction of American citizens in the name of military necessity was legal, the the sub my mouth is very dry. <laughs> the subsequent incarcerate incarceration was not. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that sort of set the motion. For them to, to be released. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, on December 17th, 1944, they put the order in that they could return uh, the next month in January. The reason it was put to January is so it wouldn't interfere with Roosevelt's re election campaign, which is gross. Mm-hmm. But, so, yeah, uh, so, yeah, basically, it, it was being proposed until after November, so as not to imp- impede Roosevelt's re election campaign. Uh, so yeah. uh, and then nine of the ten uh, camps were shut down by 1945, although Tool Lake was which held uh, renunciance. Renunciance, thank you. Uh, slated for deportation to Japan was not closed until March 20th in 1946. Oh yeah, that one of the things that happened was they would ask people if they were loyal to Japan or if they were loyal to the U.S. and all this kind of things. There were. Um, Oh god, I'd have to look it up. There's there's so much information. There's so many things. I did yeah. I've done several reports on this throughout school. Um big surprise why. There were a group of people referred to as the no nos. I guess these are people who said they were, were more in loyal to Japan, basically. Yeah, um so they were um Japanese Americans who um didn't want to join the military or they they weren't sure what was happening they would say no no they were called no no boys um because they would refuse to join there's all sorts of craziness there's also um oh god what is it called the um i think it's the 442nd yep 442nd mm-hmm. regiment combat team yep yeah so the 442nd infantry regiment was comprised of just 
soldiers of Japanese ancestry, so Japanese-American citizens who signed up to fight after the war broke out. Um, They were very, very, very interested in proving that they weren't, um, you know, weren't loyal to Japan. They were fighting against Japan or wherever they were sent. I think they were actually specifically sent to Europe so that they couldn't be in Japan. Um, The unit's motto was go for broke. And they are the most decorated unit for its size in U.S. military history. In less than two years of being active, they earned more than 18,000 awards, including 9,486 Purple Hearts, 4,000 Bronze Stars, oh, and 4,000 Bronze Stars, among others. But basically, they were, as uh, Japanese culture suggests anyway, they're extremely loyal and they like to prove that loyalty, Mm -hmm. generally. So they were basically trying as hard as possible, but sometimes putting their life on the line, which is always fun. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's nothing happy about this topic. Even the reparations made by the U.S. government, it's still not something happy. It took way too long for them to get around to doing it. And honestly, I, I honestly only think one of the reasons that it even got pushed through as well as it did is because you know, 40 years after the internment in the 80s, we started having a couple of Japanese American like senators and congressmen, you know, like Mike Honda and, um, oh God, I'm blanking on some of the others. Um, but I, I know Mike Honda is one. He actually was in um, Heart Mountain with my grandmother. She vaguely remembers him as a child. So there were uh, there were several Japanese American senators and congressmen who were trying to push things through. Daniel Inouye actually was uh, in office much much later, but um, I'm looking at dates. Um, so he he was in office in the 80s, but he wasn't in Congress. I don't think. Oh, he was a, a United States senator for Hawaii. From 1963 to 2012. That's what I'm remembering. Yeah, so he was there. So, you know, there were a few Japanese-American citizens who made it into the government, and them plus Japanese-American groups like the JACL, Japanese-American Citizens League, pushing on the government is the only reason those reparations even happened. And it's one of the reasons why when the uh, more recent internment of people of Mexican descent was happening a lot of Japanese Americans went and protested because we're all like, no, this should not happen again. (laughs) Yep. Uh, I think with all that, we should properly wrap up because we've gone way over again because Mm -hmm. we do it every time, but that's okay. It's very, it's very important topic. And like you said, it isn't covered in your textbooks nor mine apparently so it no it's really not touched on hardly at all compared to what happened granted it was only a couple of years of world war ii um i mean but it's it's a very 46 that's still you know that's yeah that's over half of the war yeah it's it's something that deserves more coverage but you know it's the whole the victors right history situation the the american government doesn't really like talking about it they don't like admitting they did it 
Um, but for anyone who wants more information, you can find a lot of information at Japanese American um, museums or online. Um, you mm -hmm. can read the executive order itself. It's executive order 9066. There's a lot of information available, especially if you're in areas that have a decent Japanese American population like California does where I'm from. Uh, mm -hmm. So there's a lot of information available. You just have to look for it. You shouldn't have to look for it to learn about it, but it is one of those ones that you have to actively seek out. Yeah. All right. Well, on that sort of note, uh, I guess we'll wrap up for this week. Mm -hmm. Next week will be lighter. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, we've got a couple ideas for what we're doing, but it can change. But either way, I don't think we can get as dreary as this topic in uh, two weeks in a row. So, no. but either way, yeah. we he, will. Your see face you very soon. several times during the discussion of like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. I, I've been signed up for quite a bit of this, uh, basically because I've just been sort of processing all of this information, because I, I'm reading it sort of with you guys, like I said, it wasn't in my textbook, so I've been going through it with, with Heather, I'm like, ah, this is some fun, no. I don't like this, but it's important, uh, we hope you, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word for, I hate using that word when it comes to these topics, I hope you found this episode Informative. engaging and informative yeah whether you enjoy the topic or not mm -hmm. uh feel free to reach out to us on the nerdsmith discord or nerdsmith.org you can find links there or on twitter at geek underscore thyself mm -hmm. uh but with all that being said we will see you uh next month because this will be the last one for may yes uh if and you do have any topic ideas and suggestions feel free to let us know definitely and we promise next week will be a little less heavy <laughs> Yes, that is the plan. Well, we will see you very soon, guys. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. Bye.